song that we sang together would be um, would have a powerful uh, connection to our hearts. And um, yeah, Lord, we want we want to experience your presence. Um, guys, could you keep playing for one second? Um, if there's anybody here who um, is just going through something difficult, I, this just came to mind as we were singing that song. Um, I have, a, I have an eight-year-old daughter who, uh, who told me a story the other day about when she was four. And she said she woke up in the house and started walking around and trying to find mom and dad. We were out in the front yard and she didn't know anybody was home and she started to panic. And uh, when she opened the door and found us in the front yard, there was this flood of relief that came over her. And the fact that mom and dad were present and that she wasn't alone made the difference for her in, um, in knowing her security. And I believe that's true about each and every one of us. I don't know what each person here is going through today, but as we sang, um, just let us become more aware of your presence, God, there was that sense of just, uh, there might be somebody in the room today who feels like you're alone. You're not alone. Um, sometimes, sometimes we feel like we're walking around alone, but God is there. He's there. He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. And um, could we just sing that one more time together right now? Here we go. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. Glory, God, is what hearts long for. Overcome by your presence, Lord. Yeah, God, I just pray that if there's somebody who needs that to penetrate deep into their hearts today, that you're with them, that we're not alone in this world, in this life. I pray that that would go deep today, that Holy Spirit, you would bring that sense of comfort and security that comes from you. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I, uh, taking a liberty like that's taking a bit of a risk when you're a guest speaker. <laughs> uh, but uh, just felt like um, God was speaking in that moment to me at my seat over here. My name's Jason Morris, and I'm, um, I'm not a regular here. If you're a visitor, you've hit on one of those Sundays where the visiting church you're at is having a guest speaker, and you're like, um, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I am part of this community in Germantown and uh, have gotten to know the leadership team here at Great Oaks and the pastoral team I've known for quite a while. And so um, just uh, super stoked to be able to connect with you guys this morning. One thing I'm super passionate about is, uh, is just, I'm on my own journey trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And I get super psyched and stoked when I get to um, talk about that with other people who are also stoked up about trying to figure out what it means to, to follow Jesus and how to do that a little more today than we did yesterday. And um, so I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I wanted to start out this morning by looking at a famous phrase. And um, this is from the book of Joshua. And it's this phrase, but as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Um, this is kind of a famous one that you see posted on the, uh, you know, framed and put on your, on your window and, or like in your, hanging up on a picture frame in your house, right? Um, I want to ask this by showing of hands, how many people in this room have made an internal or an external uh, commitment to serve God, to be in relationship with Him? I want you to raise your hand if you've made that commitment. Now, you're in church, so you better raise your hand even if you're not sure, right? So, um, if you've committed <laughs> to serving God, uh, to being a follower of Jesus, just I want you to say this phrase with me. We will serve the Lord. Would you say that phrase with me now? Say it. We will serve the Lord. 
Would you say it with me again with a little more conviction? Let's say it. We will serve the Lord. Um, what if in response to that uh, phrase that you just said, what if my response was, no, you won't. I don't believe you. What if I said that? How, does that tick you off on the inside a little bit? <laughs> um, if there's any part of you that means it when you say, we will serve the Lord, you might get a little angry at me if I were to say, no, you won't. Um, you're like, yeah, we will. Let this guy get up there and speak anyway. This is annoying. But in the passage we're going to look at today that contains that famous verse, Joshua challenged the people that he was speaking to to serve the Lord. And they said, okay, okay, we hear your challenge. We, we will serve the Lord. They made that declaration aloud. And you know what Joshua said to him? He goes, no, you won't. <laughs> he said, no, you won't. And he said that because he knew that every person in history has to make their own decision on whether or not to follow God, to prioritize Him, to, to put Him first, to recognize Him as Lord. And saying we're going to serve Him aloud is a little bit like making a public declaration of our commitment, right? It's a little bit like saying our marriage vows uh, when we get married. Um, you're in this relationship now. You were on your own, you were sort of doing your own thing as a single person, right? And then all of a sudden there was this other person and you made this public declaration to them and being with this person and committed to this person is now your new normal. That's your new normal. Everything's going to be different in your life because of this life-altering decision to get married. Anybody who's married knows that, right? A lot of us have made this commitment to serve God, and maybe there was a time when you weren't sure whether or not you were going to serve God, but you're here this morning, okay? You're in this room, so you're either following through on some commitment that you made in the past, or you're considering making that commitment for maybe the first time and you're sort of experimenting here. Or maybe somebody dragged you here, you know, just because you're sort of forced and you're not serving him at all. But I'm guessing that the vast majority of us in this room uh, here, either internally or externally or on some level, have made the declaration that we will serve the Lord. Will you say the phrase with me again? Will you say, we will serve the Lord? Say it. We will serve the Lord. By saying it, and meaning it, you're moving your mindset and your heart into a new normal. Before your commitment to serve the Lord, you were probably serving yourself in some way or serving something else. But once you made that decision to serve the Lord, you know if you've made that decision in your life, it really does mean a new normal for you. How many people understand that it meant a new normal when you made that commitment to serve the Lord? Yeah, you know, right? And this is how things are now. Things are different. It might not be exactly what we expected, but it's what we're all about. Our commitment to serve the Lord becomes our new normal. And today I want us to look at Joshua because he understood the idea that serving God meant a completely new normal. He grasped the concept that every person has to make their own decision on whether or not they're going to follow God. He understood that it might not come easily because a commitment to God is lifelong. And he understood the natural human tendency to want to go after our own way, to serve ourselves, or to serve something other than God. So he called his people to a new level of commitment. And anytime, uh, folks, before we jump in and read the scripture here in Joshua, uh, anytime you read about a person in the Old Testament, you have to remember that the entire Old Testament points toward the person of Jesus. That's where the Old Testament is pointing. So Joshua did not have the advantage of understanding Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He knew God the Father and sort of saw Him that way only. We have the advantage. So when we're reading the Old Testament and being challenged by the words that are written there, we have to filter everything that we're reading through the person of Jesus Christ because God came to show us His true character in the person of Jesus. So when Joshua speaks, he doesn't have that concept, but we've got an advantage more so than the people who sat there right there listening to him in person, understanding the character of God and who he is in the person of Jesus. So keep that in mind as we read our passage here, and we're going to jump right into Joshua 23. So open your Bibles there, and uh, I'll give you a little context. This is a final word 
from Joshua to his leaders. Um, chapter 23 records kind of this touching scene between the old veteran warrior, Joshua, who's the hero, and the national, uh, the national leaders all are gathered together. He's got the key leadership there. So if, if you want to read about Joshua, by the way, he's got a fascinating story in the book of Joshua. I'd encourage you to go read it this week. Um, but we're picking up right at the end of Joshua's life, okay? We're picking up right at the end of his leadership. Follow along as I read chapter 23, number, uh, verses 1 and 2. After a long time had passed... And the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials. And he said to them, I am very old. I like that last line. (laughs) It's like, look, everyone, I'm starting off this speech by telling you I am so old. I am old enough I might keel over in the middle of this speech, so you better listen. All right? I'm calling a joint meeting of Congress and and all the leadership together. Supreme Court justices are going to come together, military leaders, and I'm going to tell you how it is. I'm going to speak from my heart. So Joshua is about to express his passion and his concerns and his priorities uh, that have formed after decades of following God. He's passing the baton on to his leaders and the next generation, and he distills it down to just a few key ideas that we're going to get into, okay? He says in verses 3 through 5, You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations that I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. So Joshua's laying out the mission of taking the land to his people, and he wants to to burn some basic truths into the leadership, into the hearts and minds of his leaders, because he knows if he can influence the leadership, he can influence the whole next generation. He can influence the nation through the leaders. And I believe God recorded this whole thing in his, in his word so that we can apply this kind of truth to our lives and to our own church experience. Look at verse 6. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. He starts out here by being passionate about wholehearted obedience to God's word. That's what he's passionate about. He warns us that we have a tendency to compromise, and that's why he says don't turn to the right or to the left. Wholehearted obedience to God's word is critical to life and to leadership. And Joshua is saying, be a people of the book. He's saying, be a people of the book. Now, his version of the book was just the first five books that we have. We have the whole thing, okay? He's saying, be a people of the book. And for us, that means the Bible. And folks, in order to be a people of the book... um, it means we have to read the book. I don't know if you were here. I spoke here in, January, or in December, uh, and my whole point of that message was you guys got to get in the Bible. Everybody's got to be reading the Bible to understand the heart of God. We've got to take our Bibles out and read them so that we are constantly reminded of how God thinks and who he is. What this book says is important because if we know what the Bible says, then we'll start to understand how God thinks and we'll stop assuming that he thinks like we think. All right? And when we make that declaration, we will serve the Lord, and we say it out loud, we start to grasp what that actually means. Would you say it with me again? We will serve the Lord. Say it. We will serve the Lord. So I want you to get your calendar out right now, and I want you to put a daily task on it for 15 minutes. You can pull your phone out. I will not be offended. And you, I just want you to write, put down, read my Bible, okay? And I'm serious, because if just a couple of people this morning decide they're going to get regular Bible reading into their daily routine. As a result of this message, I will feel like mission accomplished because that means a couple of people will stop coasting along and assuming they know the heart of God and they'll start really knowing what he thinks because they'll be connecting with him every day in his word. Then when we say the phrase, we will serve the Lord, we know what we mean. 
Say the phrase with me again. Say it. We will serve the Lord. So first, Joshua is saying that serving the Lord means wholehearted obedience to God's word. Second, Joshua is passionate about wholehearted devotion to God himself. In verses 7 through 8 that we're about to read, he starts talking about not serving other gods, okay? And we'll get there. And folks, I need to qualify with this. Anytime that we read in the Old Testament or anywhere in the Bible about serving other gods, I think a lot of us are tempted to think, well, you know, that's a 2,000-year-old problem. I don't create little wooden things and then bow down to them, right? I don't do that. I want you to realize right here and now that every one of us is tempted to serve other gods every single day. And anything that has your attention more than the God of the Bible has the propensity to be a God in your life. Comfort, leisure, vacation, money, status, power, um, that certain lifestyle, that car, that house, that person, anything you wish you could get that you don't have. These are all our modern day version of gods. So when you read about gods in the Bible and him saying, don't serve other gods, you got to understand that you and me are being challenged in that moment, okay? So in light of wholehearted devotion to God, pick up at verse 7. It says this, Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So in this final moment to his leaders, he urges complete devotion to God. No compromise, no softness here. He wants them to take the risk of wholehearted devotion to God because the rest of the world is offering them other gods, competing values, and the rest of the world won't understand why they are wholeheartedly serving and devoted to God. There's, a, um, there's an old 70s movie. I'd be curious to know how many people have seen this movie. It's called The Poseidon Adventure. Um, I remember seeing this when I was a little kid. It had Gene Hackman in it. Um, anybody seen this movie? Anybody old enough to Okay, gotcha. <laughs> All right. Yeah, don't age, don't age yourself there. Or don't, don't out yourself on your age. This ocean liner in the movie flips over, okay? And uh, this tidal wave or something flips it upside down, and it's upside down for 12 hours, sort of floating, and everybody's trapped inside it. And uh, they're in this weird upside-down world in this ocean liner. And um, they came out with a remake just a, a few years ago called Poseidon, and I had forgotten about the old movie uh, and then, until I saw the newer one, and the plot came back to me as I was watching it, which was really weird. I don't know why my parents let me watch this movie. It was, like, disturbing, but I'm, like, as a little kid staring at the screen, like, Mama! Anyway, but uh, there, there's a scene <laughs> where this small band of characters decide that they're going to leave... Um, the main, the main upside-down ballroom where everybody has congregated, and they're going to make their way through the maze of the flipped-over ship to try and find a way out. And the captain of the ship, who's there in the, in the room, he says, you guys are going to die. Don't try to do this. Don't, you're not going to make it. Just wait here. Somebody will come and rescue us. We've got enough time. It's going to float here for a little while before it sinks. Just don't leave. Well, of course, this group ignores them. That's how you get a movie out of it, right? And uh, they, their decision uh, to not conform to what everyone else was doing uh, and instead to take risks and find their way out is ultimately what saves this small group of people. Everyone else ends up dead, of course. But the one thing I was struck with when, we wa when I was watching this film, was that the decision to do the courageous thing, the risky thing, the difficult thing, the unpopular thing is what saved these people over and over. It remained a theme throughout the movie. And every time they were up against impossible odds, uh, they chose to take the risk uh, that could end up killing them. But that commitment to taking the risk is what ultimately saved them, despite the pressure from what other people were giving them. Okay? Wholehearted obedience to God's word, wholehearted devotion to God himself is what Joshua is saying to the people. You know the right thing to do. If you're not sure, let me spell it out for you. It's what God is commanding you to do. It's not going to be popular. It's going to be risky. Now go do it. The other nations that you're dealing with are not going to get it. 
they're not going to condone your commitment to God. Following Him is not going to be the popular way to go. It's a lot like following Jesus today. People just don't get it. They don't get it. They're like, you, you, okay, you've got this weird religious compartment in your life. It's like, no, I'm really all about Him. He's a, my whole life is about Him. And they're going, what? I don't quite get this. Um, guys, this challenge in Scripture, I believe, is, an, is a challenge for us to not let other people influence our decisions in our devotion to Him. Don't let ourselves be duped into serving other gods. I really believe that's what Joshua was telling us there. God knows human tendency. It's to serve ourselves or serve our own desires. And folks, most people live their whole lives serving themselves. That's, that's what the crowd does. That's what we're encouraged to do. But Joshua is telling them going with the crowd is not an option. They're being challenged to be devoted to God alone despite the pressures to do otherwise. He knows that every person must make their own decision to follow God. And he wants them to take the risks that come with making that decision and declaring, we will serve the Lord. Will you say it with me again? We will serve the Lord. Would you say it one more time? We will serve the Lord. Okay, anybody here feel like ticking some people off? I hope you don't raise your hand to that, okay? <laughs> um, post on Facebook that Jesus is the only way to know the true God and all other religions are missing it. If you've got any non-Christian friends with any backbone, they will slice and dice you for making that kind of comment, okay? Because the popular view in the world right now is that God doesn't exist. And if he does exist, we need to just kind of figure out what that means to us and take whatever path feels good and we'll find him. And if you try to say there's only one way and it's Jesus, you will be completely ostracized and accused of hatred and small-mindedness. And the world around you does not want you to be that devoted to God. And please don't go post inflammatory faces, uh, phrases on Facebook. I beg you. Um, that is not, I was just making a point, okay? Um, that kind of post, I believe, is not necessarily taking a stand for God. It's kind of being obnoxious and alienating people. So, you know, if you're in relationship with these people, it has a point. Don't, don't cut it off, all right? But point being, since Jesus said the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For me, internally, the Bible drives me to believe with all my heart that Jesus is the only path to knowing God, despite the fact that that's an unpopular sentiment. And spending eternity with him is found through Jesus because he said so. Because he said so. And if what Jesus said in this moment is true, I have no choice but to wholeheartedly be devoted to him. So while I don't have any desire to alienate people in my life, I love having friends, okay? I really do. I also am not going to bow down to the false philosophy that all paths lead to God because it dishonors Jesus and it just doesn't line up with what he said. Wholehearted devotion to God will not allow me to believe that. Now, by the way, I know in a group this size, there's a, group, there's a handful of people in this room that are really struggling with what I just said. We can talk about it afterwards, okay? All right. It, and by the way, just as a side note, it would be a whole lot more convenient um, if Jesus had not said the phrase, no one comes to the Father but through me, but he did say it. Um, so I've got to ask myself, do I have that kind of devotion to him? Am I okay with not adopting the philosophies of the world? Am I okay with what the Bible teaches and Jesus laid out as truth? Joshua is saying to his people, you're going to be tempted to serve these other gods, but don't fall into that temptation. They are messed up. They're godless. Devote yourself to the one, one true God. So Joshua is first passionate about wholehearted obedience to God's word. Second, passionate about wholehearted devotion to God himself. And third, he is passionate about wholehearted dependence on God wholehearted dependence on God. Most of us don't like the word um, dependence. 
it means that we're not independent, right? We've got, you know, Independence Day is coming up and we're going to celebrate great freedom. It's, it goes directly against what we're taught to value in our country, which is independence. Um, we value it nationally and individually. I'm, you know, I'm free, man. I'm free. And uh, I, I do what I want to do. I don't, I don't need permission and I don't need to ask anyone. I am in charge of my own identity and my own destiny, right? Dependence, that concept of being dependent on God, it just sounds weak, right? Sounds weak. Um, it sounds like I'm not man enough to deal with my own, my own issues. <laughs> um, when they ask me how many dependents I have, the IRS asks me, right, how many every year, how many dependents do you have? I'm like, I've got six children and my wife. I got eight of them. Eight dependents, Mr. IRS. That's how many people are dependent on me. So don't ask me to be dependent on someone else. Um, I'm that awesome, you know. So no one can claim me <laughs> as a dependent. So what the heck is this picture of dependence on God? What does it mean? Just follow along with me. Uh, at verses 9 through 11, it says this, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. He reminds the, the leaders that God is able. He's dependable. God works miracles. He's the source of strength, the source of victory. And folks, for me personally, I am really, really learning to depend on God right now in my life. And um, I have had such a crazy last 12 months. Um, in the fall, I left a church that I'd been at my uh, entire adult life. I'd been there for 21 years on staff for 17. And I used to get, get up and preach like this most Sundays, and now I don't. And uh, it, I miss it. I miss it, and uh, a couple of weeks after my last Sunday uh, there, I started working a new job for Samaritan Ministries, so that's been a major transition for me, and I'm enjoying it, um, but if you've ever done a major job change where all of a sudden you're doing something you weren't doing before, you know all kinds of challenges that come with that kind of thing, and you, it, it's just a bit of a challenge, right? Um, and then a few weeks after that last Sunday I had um, when I was at New Life, uh, my dad was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer, and so we walked through his path of illness uh, into Christmas and into the new year, and that came to an end on March 28th when he passed away. And it all happened really, really fast. And I loved my dad. I loved my dad so much, and I miss him. It just wasn't supposed to go down like this, you know? He was only 71. And we had a lot of things that we were still going to experience together. That was how it was supposed to go. And my tendency in my natural self is when I'm stressed and I'm frustrated with the way things have gone is to withdraw into a dark and irritable place and all of a sudden I'm no fun to be around and I'm just kind of angry. That's, that's kind of where I go. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. But I know in my own mind, angry me, I'm going to put that in quotes, angry me is a symptom and a sign of me being dependent on me, on my abilities, dependent on my own capacity, it's a total disregard that God is with me. Remember, we sang about his presence. And it's, it's totally forgetting that, right? And that he's got me and that he's dependable. I can depend on him. So in order to not fall into that version of angry me where it's an ugly place, I've found that I have to say out loud to God, God, the situation that I'm in, Jesus, the situation that I'm in, I just can't handle it. I'm already maxed out. And, and I just, the task is too big for me to undertake and it's too much. This pain is too much. I'm tired. I just can't do this right now. I can't be who you want me to be. And what's funny about it is that when it gets to that point of actually me admitting that the thing is beyond my own capacity and isn't possible for me to do, or that my attitude just can't reflect Jesus because I'm too beat up or too overwhelmed, that's when I can, that's, and when I say, so you're going to have to take care of this, Jesus. You're going to have to live through me. You're going to have to reflect yourself to the world because I can't do it. I'm handing this one over to you. When I do that, I find myself calmed down, 
remembering that Jesus' presence is with me. And I'm able to walk through some of these more difficult situations as a person who hopefully still represents him as a light to the world rather than just being a dark, ugly thing to the world, okay? And I don't know where you're at on this, folks, um, because I'm aware that everyone's got their own version of the last 12 months, right? You've all gone through different stuff. Um, You've got losses in your life. You've got difficulties that you've been facing. But I have to depend on God or I am just continue, I continually fail at being his representative to the world around me. You should try this, folks. If you're feeling overwhelmed by life right now, just tell God out loud. Say it to him. In a, I don't know if you're in the shower or in the car. I don't care where you are, but just say it out loud. Say, Lord, I can't handle this. And then watch what he, I'm handing it over to you. See what he does. See what he does. He's most likely going to still involve you in walking through the pain but it won't be as big of a stress to you because you'll know that he's with you. You didn't wake up in the house alone by yourself. He's there with you. And you'll begin to find hope and joy even if he's giving you, even if life is giving you a beatdown. And I'm telling you all this because in Joshua, this is our passage here, Joshua is passionate about these things. Obedience to God's word, devotion to God, and dependence on God. It's like he's grabbing every listener by the collar and he's giving them a shake and he's saying, this is the only way to live, dependent upon God. Jump ahead to verse 14. He says, now I'm about to go to the way, the go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He's reminding them of God's faithfulness and he's given them the motivation to stay true to the living God in this moment. The responsibility of all of us, of anyone calling themselves a follower of Jesus, is to walk like Joshua is urging in this passage. Because remember, we run everything that we're reading here uh, in the Old Testament through the filter of Jesus, right? And if you want to follow Jesus, you're responsible to be passionate about these same three things that Joshua is passionate about. Passionate about devotion to God's word, obedience to God's word, devotion to God, and wholehearted dependence on God. Now I want to jump ahead to Joshua 24, 14, next chapter. It says this, uh, shortly, this is shortly following the, um, the first part of his speech in chapter 23. He goes from addressing the national leadership to addressing the individuals who make up the nation. And this is the moment for his final words of encouragement and instruction to all the people, okay? And if you jump to verse 14, you get right into the meat of what he wants the people to hear. He calls everyone to serve the Lord alone. He says this, starting in verse 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in, and in Egypt and serve the Lord. He's mandating devotion to God again, right? But this time to all the people. And he says, serve him with faithfulness. Serve the Lord. Then Joshua adds one of those powerful moments that reflects God's heart. How each one of us has to choose who we will follow and serve. Check this out. This is one of the most candid moments in Scripture. In verse 15, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. He's like, you don't want to serve the one true God? Okay, then decide who you are going to serve because don't try to pretend you're not serving any God because you are. Choose the true God. And here's that famous powerful part of the verse that we see posted in those framed pictures on our walls, right? It says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Can we say the whole phrase this time, from, but as for me? Here we go. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's say it one more time. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We have to choose it. No one else can choose for us. The choice is always between serving the living God and serving a substitute. And I'm talking to you here whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. We all have the propensity to choose substitutes. 
I've chosen so many substitutes for God in my life at different points. I, it is embarrassing. And uh, I, I used to have such an ugly pattern of choosing substitutes for Jesus. And my most common one uh, that I chose over and over and over again in my own life was instead of finding my identity in my relationship with Jesus, I'd find my identity in the approval of other people around me. Because if they could feel good about me, then I could feel good about me. And this was a big vice for me, and I still struggle with it. But at least I can start to recognize it as a substitute for the living God and the approval of my Father, which I I already have. It is important, folks, that each one of us identify what those natural substitutes are for us, because they're not all the same. They, they tend to be different things for different people, because we can say the phrase, we will serve the Lord out loud, but if that declaration flies out the window and all of a sudden we find ourselves stressed out or hurting, it's not really a true declaration, right? Identifying your substitutes for God is going to help you know exactly when you need to run back to Him. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, uh, you know, you just get mad. It's what you do. Maybe it's eating. Something's difficult, head for the fridge. Maybe it's withdrawal from friends and family. You find yourself just kind of isolating. Maybe it's entertainment. You know, just turn on the TV and let my mind go somewhere else so I can sort of forget everything and it'll temporarily go away. Maybe it's sexual gratification. If I can just feel good this way, then maybe I won't feel so bad over here. Maybe it's shopping. You know, I'll find some pseudo joy through buying something new instead of depending on God to heal the hurt that I'm experiencing. These are just some examples of substitutes for God to meet our basic needs. And he wants, folks, he wants us to find joy. He wants us to run to him when we're suffering. So we make the declaration, we will serve the Lord. And part of what serving him means running to him when we're hurting. And, and I know that maybe seems hard to comprehend because you're talking about serving. Wait a minute, how does serving and running to him go together? Let, let me explain that. Um, if we run to substitutes, when we really should be running to him when we're hurting, we certainly are not going to be in a position to truly serve him when he calls us to a specific action. We're going to be out of touch with him, serving substitutes instead of him. Can you understand this? Serving him means loving him, and loving him means trusting him, and trusting him means approaching him as our Lord, even when we're tempted to make something else our Lord over us. And that's what it means to serve the Lord. Will you say the phrase with me again? We will serve the Lord. Let's say it. We will serve the Lord. So in this little passage here, <laughs> Joshua, 16, verses 16 through 25, basically, I'm going to sum it up, basically says this. They say, okay, Joshua, we'll serve God. We've heard you, we're committed to serving him, and you'd think the whole thing would end there, but I told you already, it's so funny, because Joshua just doesn't let him go. He goes, no, you won't. You won't serve God, you losers. <laughs> it's like, he's like insulting them, and the people are like, oh, yes, we will. And Joshua says, I hear what you're saying, but you had better make sure you mean it. And the people say, we will serve and obey him. You can read all about it later, okay? But finally, in verses 25, and then to the end of the chapter, Joshua puts up this marker to commemorate the commitment that he, has, uh, that he and the people have made in that moment. Have you had that moment, folks? Have you had that moment when you've commemorated uh, your commitment to serve God, where you've sort of put up that marker, I don't know about physically, but just at least mentally? Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. This is one of those famous verses in the New Testament. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's a picture of somebody declaring, we will serve the Lord, and this is what it looks like. If that challenge in Romans is something we want to accept, we are saying, we will serve the Lord, and our lives are going to reflect that commitment. So this is what it comes down to. Are you ready to say, I mean, I know I've been making you say it over and over again, but are you ready to say, we will serve the Lord 
and really mean it? Are you ready to say it and really mean it? If you're not ready to say it, or if you're not ready to actually mean it, please don't say it. The last thing I want is for this group to pretend to be something they're not um, and to kind of fake it. Um, I want you to say it one more time now, if you're ready for a new normal and if you're ready to make that commitment and if it's something that you want to see a different kind of life as a result of. It's like a marriage, right? Anyone who has ever put their marriage on coast knows that that's not a good idea. It's not a good plan. If your commitment to serving God has been on coast, it's not a good plan. Say it with me. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Can we say it again? We will serve the Lord. Can you say it with a little conviction? We will serve the Lord. And I just want to spell that out for you one more time. Maybe that declaration to serve the Lord means cutting loose that habitual sin that you've got or that substitute that's in your life that's sort of been popping into your mind here. Maybe it's sitting down for a family meeting, um, just openly declaring, you know what, family? We're going to be all about serving Jesus. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm serious. Sometimes those of us who would describe ourselves as having a Christian home literally never talk about Jesus at home and what being committed to him means. Your kids aren't just going to automatically get it. Okay? If you're passionate about Jesus and making that declaration about serving the Lord, tell your kids why. Talk to them about that commitment. Tell them regularly. Bring it back to the fact that Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to come and die for you and, and forgive you for your sins and that he rose again and he's the only way to know God. Let them know that at some point you were desperate enough, enough to take the risk to declare your allegiance to him, your dependence on him. Maybe you've already got that commitment, but you just need to talk about what accountability in your home looks like. And what I mean by that is because of the commitment we have in our house to serve the Lord, we're going to give each other the freedom to say, hey, that behavior that you're involved in right now doesn't have anything to do with being committed to serving God. That's not what our family does. Um, or maybe, maybe it's, uh, you know, that attitude that you're giving me right now is not a picture of us serving God. Now, obviously, I, I caution you on this because uh, you need to be judicious in your approach of using that because obviously you can use that so much your kids start just rolling their eyes and they're like, whatever, mom. But, uh, but dads, moms, this is something that if you can set the tone and say, this is all our, our as, I mean, that declaration, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It changes things if you will explain it and come back to it and say, this is what we are really doing. Maybe it means a closer obedience to God's word for you. It means you're just reading God's word more often, seeking answers to tough questions. Maybe it means identifying those ungodly philosophies that you've let creep into your heart that are just easier to believe because the world believes them. Um, maybe we will serve the Lord for you means finally releasing control and worry about a certain situation to God. Maybe that declaration means that you need to stoke that passion for God in your own heart and pass it on to someone else in an intentional kind of way. And if you don't know what that statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, means for you personally and for your family, ask God about it. It's okay to come and say, I'm trying to make this declaration, Lord, but I don't know what it looks like. What does it look like in my family? That's an authentic and fair question for you to ask God. And if you wait and allow, allow him to speak, he'll answer. He'll answer. Um, I want to pray for us now. And uh, just we're wrapping it up here. And um, just... Uh, would ask you guys to really let God speak in the area of what it means to, to serve him and how that's going to play out this week and this summer for you guys in your own home. Uh, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I pray, Father, that uh, as we've said out loud several times, we will serve the Lord today, that you'd help us to know what that means. God, I pray for each person in this room that we'd each have a sense 
of what exactly our next action is that, that looks like serving you, whether that's a, a shift in our way of thinking or a shift in our speech or a shift in the way that we are uh, walking out this life in the next days and weeks. Lord, I pray it would become clear to each person here um, what it means to serve you and that we leave here with a, a sense of total commitment to you. Um, let each family here be a light in this community, Lord, of serving you in a powerful way that changes things. Lord, I pray we'd each catch a vision of what it would look like if each family in this, in this church, in this community, would be on fire for you, serving you, that it was obvious to everybody around us, and that what that would mean for our, for our community and our schools and, and all of the uh, folks, our neighbors that we're encountering. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you just live and, live and work through us because of that commitment to serve you. Help us, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We declare our dependence on you. And we pray all this in your holy name. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen.